Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you have given us the Bible and that by your Holy Spirit you speak to us right now. Please give us ears to hear, hearts to obey, so that we might serve you with our lives. For your glory and honour, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one of the most successful advertising campaigns of the last few decades was NRMA H-E-L-P. Who's ever heard that before? Quite a few of you have. Um, it was very clever because every time you thought you needed H-E-L-P, you'd contact the NRMA. Uh, particularly useful if they did things like flat batteries and tyres and all those sorts of things. If there was other kinds of help that you needed that they didn't provide, well, you could still give them a call. But certainly the idea was that they knew that when you needed help, you would give them a call and they would bring you help. We need help when we can't manage things on our own, like when we don't have the skills or we don't have the strength. And sometimes it's because an important part of our team has left. Maybe a member's gone and, and you know, you're in a workplace or something like that and there's a big gap. All the things that that person used to do, they're not around anymore and so what do you need? You need some help. Or it might be that you, live, you leave home after many years of being at home and you don't have mum and dad or whoever to show you what to do and so you need some help. Or it might even be that after many years your spouse is no longer around and you need help, you need emotional help, that hole in your heart. But there's more to that, there's logistical help and so forth. Now, with all this in mind, start to imagine what it must have been like for Jesus' disciples the night before Jesus was betrayed. They're having a meal together. It's a fairly somber meal. Jesus has just told them that he is leaving. And you can imagine what that must have been like. He's not saying, I, you know, I'm leaving, I'm going on holidays for a couple of months, I'll be back soon. He's saying, I'm leaving to die. And they know that this is happening because he's promised that this would happen. And he's saying, I'm leaving to die but I'm going to be with the Father. These guys have been with Jesus for three years, and that's quite a long time. They've known him, they've spent time with him, they've laughed with him, they've cried with him, they've done some amazing things, some seen some extraordinary things. They've literally followed him. As he has walked, they've followed after him. And when he said, do you believe me? They say, we believe you. They've shown their faith in person, in the flesh. It's real. It's right in front of them. And now he says, I'm going. And you can imagine what that must have felt like. Can you imagine being around Jesus for three years like that and then needing to say goodbye, knowing he's gone? You think, what about the friendship? You think, what about the mission? I mean, wasn't he supposed to like change the world? Wasn't the kingdom of God going to come? How's he going to do that if he goes away? And what do we do when he's gone? Well, it turns out with all of this that Jesus has a perfect plan. They are not going to be alone. And this is where the Holy Spirit comes into the picture. We are looking today at John chapter 14, the second half of that chapter from verses 15 to 31. And this is one of the most important sections of the whole Bible about the Holy Spirit. This is what we're looking at right now. And we're going to see here that the one who brings the H-E-L-P is the Holy Spirit. 
Holy Spirit is our helper. And we're going to find out about this with the Holy Spirit and a whole lot more. Well, this section here begins with Jesus saying this, verse 15, if you love me, obey my commandments. Remember from last week, Jesus has just said, ask for anything in my name and I'll give it to you. Anything, I will give it to you. And then straight away he says, if you love me, obey my commandments. Kind of weird. You sort of think, oh, hang on a second. Did, did they delete something in the word processor? Because it feels like it's just disjointed. Why would he suddenly go from that to that? Why would he say that? Well, it seems to me that basically he's saying that if they do truly love Jesus, then they'll show it by obeying him. If they love Jesus, they will obey him. And what's that got to do with what he's just said? Well, he's saying, if you are really going to ask in Jesus' name, if you are really going to come before him saying, I want to glorify God like you do, then you need to know him. You need to love him. And the way to do that is to obey his commandments. That is the right response to following Jesus. Now, he's not telling them how to become his followers because they already are. They're sitting around the table, reclining around the, the banquet. And at that point, he's not saying, will you follow me? It's like, duh, they're already following you. Of course they're following you. So he's saying, what? He's saying, now that you follow me, now that you are family, the response is to obey me. See, that's the way that a child should show love to a parent. You know, do you love me? Well, do what you're told. <laughs> Likewise, you don't love me? Clearly, because you're not doing what you're told. I mean, it's that sort of thing there, and it's pretty obvious. And it's almost too obvious. It's like, well, of course we're going to do what you say, Jesus, because we love you. But it's included here for, for them to really understand the connection between what he's saying on this very monumental occasion. That's the right response as Jesus leaves to keep obeying him. And if they do that, and if it's proven in that sense that they truly are his, then Jesus offers them something very, very special. He promises them this in verse 16 and 17. He says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit. Basically, he's saying, listen, if you are really those whom I love, which you are, if you're really my disciples, which you are, then I'm going to give you a gift. I'm going to give you the best possible gift. Actually, I'm not going to give it to you. I'm going to ask our Heavenly Father to give the gift to you. So it's going to be that Jesus will say to the Father to give them the gift. And this is the gift here. The gift is the Holy Spirit. He is the gift. And he's coming because the Jesus, the Son, is going. It's almost a little bit like when you've got the substitute on the field. You know, one person goes off, you high five, and the next person goes on. But it's more than that, and it's different to that. But there's a sense that Jesus goes and the Holy Spirit comes. And you see this connection between what Jesus had done with them and what the Spirit will do with them, because he says that they are another Advocate. Did you see that? He said, another advocate. He's going to continue the work of Jesus in their presence. So what is an advocate? Well, an advocate is somebody who stands up for you. You know, if you've got somebody who's 
who's acting in a way that's inappropriate, might be a really big organisation, and you need someone to stand up for you and to represent you as your advocate. Maybe you've got more, the advocate's got more power and more knowledge and they're able to represent, I mean, another name is a lawyer. It's kind of like somebody who, who stands there with you and says, I've got your back. I'm here with you, shoulder to shoulder, advocating for you in this difficult time. A support person in that, in that sense. Another way to translate that word is as a helper. Other translations will say, instead of advocate, they'll say helper. And I think that's probably, above all, the best way to understand it. But if an advocate still works completely. And so what we see here is that the Holy Spirit is our helper. Who's our helper? The Holy Spirit. He is the one who help us, help us manage life when we're not in the presence of Jesus anymore. That will be the case for the disciples. Because the helper, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, he will bring to them the presence of Jesus. And he says that the Holy Spirit will never leave them. He will never leave us. Now that is the kind of comforting that they need. You know, Jesus has to go. But when the Spirit comes, he will never leave. He will never leave. He'll never forsake. He'll be there forever. And this is an amazing promise. As the disciples are there with, with red eyes probably from crying because it's been such an emotion. Certainly Jesus has been deeply troubled and they realise that it's kind of like the end of the world in a sense. It's all happening right there. And in their presence, Jesus says, the Spirit is coming and he will never leave you. What a word of comfort that is. But how is it that he will comfort? What is it that he will do for them? Well, this is a key bit about the Holy Spirit. Verse 17, we read 17a, He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. How's he going to help them? How's he going to help those first disciples at that very moment there? The Holy Spirit is going to lead into all truth. He is going to tell them the truth of God and of themselves and of everything. He's the ultimate truth teller. It's about knowledge. It's about information. It's about the truth. He is the one who brings us the truth of God because he is God himself. He is the one who will bring them the true understanding of who God is, how they can truly know him, how they truly need to respond to him. And the same is true for us as well. And this is why when the Spirit comes, the disciples will recognise him. It, it, it'll be kind of weird. It's like, I really, I, don't I know you? It's like, yes, of course you do. That'll be their response as they receive the Holy Spirit in due course. They will recognise the Spirit, but the world won't. And so we see in verse 17, Jesus says, He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognise him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. There's so much in that sentence. What am I going to say? Well, there's a few things. We've got to realise that when in John's Gospel it talks about the world, it's not talking about everybody, it's not talking about the planet Earth, it's actually talking about all those people who stand in opposition to Jesus, the world. So in a sense, the world are the rebels who have rebelled against the King. 
You know, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That, that's how much he loves the rebels. But Jesus would say that the world hates me. If the world loves me, it'll love you too, but it hates me, so it'll hate you. See, he talks about the world in that kind of way. And so when the Holy Spirit comes, the world is not going to go, ah, here's my friend the Holy Spirit, because the world, as it stands against Jesus, also stands against the Holy Spirit. Won't recognise him. But those who know Jesus already, not just the disciples, but all who are around at that time, the Spirit would come and it would be like meeting an old friend. It's like, wow, have we met before? I feel like I know you. Yes, you do. It's the Spirit of Christ. See, the world isn't looking for the Holy Spirit, but the disciples were because Jesus had been with them. And now the spirit of Christ would be with them again. And here's this interesting thing. He says, but you'll know him because he lives with you now, the spirit. It's talking to the disciples before the death and resurrection and the ascension and the giving of the spirit. Right, right. Before that, right. It says that you know him. He lives with you now and later will be in you. In you. Jesus is saying, you have the spirit of God now with you because That is the breath of Jesus. Jesus is speaking on behalf of the Father. And so you have, therefore, the breath of God, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. But something is going to happen so that the Spirit of God is not just around you. The Spirit of God is in you. It wasn't the case when Jesus said these words to the disciples. But 50 days later, it was. This is an extraordinary thing that he's talking about here. He is talking about an extraordinary intimacy. To have God living in you, to have the Spirit living in you, to have the Son living in you is utterly mind-blowing. You can be really close to someone. You can walk holding hands. You can sit really, really close and have your arms pressed up against each other. You can give them a big hug. There's all sorts of ways to express that intimacy, but there's nothing like the intimacy of the Spirit living in you, possessing you, being at your very heart, your Spirit connected with the Spirit of God. It's extraordinary intimacy. And it brings so many things to have that intimacy. But one of the things it does is it brings comfort. It brings comfort. You see here in verse 18... Jesus says, no, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. It's wonderful, isn't it? I mean, he's just been talking about how the spirit will come. You'll recognize him. And he says, I won't abandon you. I will come to you. And it seems to me more than likely when he says, I will come to you, he's saying, I will come to you as the spirit. The spirit of Christ. Jesus has gone away, but he'll be back and and they won't feel like they're alone. They won't be abandoned. They won't be like without parents. You know, where's your mum and dad? I don't have them anymore. It won't be like that for God's people. How will he come to them? As the Holy Spirit. The disciples will see it, but again, the world won't. Verse 19, he says, Soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. And since I live, you will also live. Well, when Jesus says soon, I mean, it's kind of like within a day in a sense, isn't it? Because the day after they kill Jesus, that's what the world does. The world certainly does hate Jesus. And so the world will no longer see him. 
He will rise and he will ascend to be with the Father, but not for forever. But the disciples will see him. And because, and this will happen because of a certain link, he says, because I live, you also will live. See, Jesus' resurrection means that we have a resurrection if you trust in Jesus. It's kind of like you're bolted into him. He rises, you rise. He's safe, you're safe. It's kind of like jump on my back and hold on. Where he goes to safety, you go to safety. It's extraordinary, this. Jesus lives, and so they live. You want to live, you need to bolt yourself onto Jesus. You need to be following Jesus and have the Spirit in you. But there's more, verse 20. He says, when I'm raised to life again, you will know that I am in my Father, yeah, and you are in me, yeah, and I am in you, yeah. It's like, look at all these ins and ins and ins and ins. It's all kind of like just this big mashup of intimacy. It's extraordinary. He says two things. He says, firstly, I'm going to rise again. I mean, they know that. They know that Jesus is going to die and going to rise because they've said it. And Jesus has said it in the past. And he said, I'm going to rise. And they go, yeah, 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 yeah. What is he talking about? But, oh, yeah, well, I guess it'll make sense. But they know it's happening and he says it again. But then he says that when he rises, it will show that he, Jesus, is in the Father. They live in each other as one, as a, an eternal bond of unity. But it's not just Jesus the Son and God the Father who are in each other. What else he says? And you are in me and I am in you. And so it's kind of like everybody having this huge group hug. Jesus in the Father, Father in him, us in him, him in us. It's like, wow. This is not a distant God that sort of looks down. Like, he, he is in us. We are in him. It's just mind-blowing. This, this is what happens as the Spirit comes. And so you've got to say in all of this that it's actually better now that the Spirit has come. I reckon it must have been hard for the disciples to get their head around that, oh, it's actually good that you're going to die, Jesus. It's like, oh, how could, it any, how could that be a good thing? It's like, well, it's actually needed to happen so that Jesus would rise from the dead. So that his life would give them life. But also so that the spirit would come. Jesus goes and here comes the spirit. That's how it works. That intimacy is profound. But what will happen as a result of that? They're so close together, as close as you can get. And so what happens? Well, there's a very practical response. Verse 21, he says... Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them. And I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. What's he doing here? He's just had all this lovely talk about, you know, giant group hugs and things like that, of the intimacy, the comfort, the, the, all of those. And, and now he's talking about doing stuff, ticking boxes and doing what he's told. How's this connection? It's gone from intimacy to obedience. How does that work? Well, that's what you do 
when you are so connected with the one that you love. You want to serve them. You want to have the same heart as them. So that when their heart beats a little bit faster with joy, so does yours. And when their heart and mine and tears start to flow with sadness, so it should be with us who are so connected. And so when we have our master who says, this is what I want you to do to be with me, you know, as one who's, who is with me, we should then naturally say, I want to obey you. I want to obey your commandments because I love you and I love what you stand for and I love your commandments. Now, this is not saying that if you obey the commandments, then you will be loved and accepted for the first time. It's not like that. It's not like a, a parent with a kid saying, okay, if you tidy up your room, then suddenly you're going to be part of my family. It's like, I've got this birth certificate and I'm pretty sure it says that I'm your child. Well, that's true. It's like, okay, well, it's got nothing to do with becoming the child. It's living as a child. This is what he's saying. Jesus is not saying, hey, how would you like to be a follower of Jesus? It's like, Jesus, we're sitting around this table. We said we would die for you. It's already there. And then he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And because of your love, we will love you. This is kind of what happens. Intimacy leads to obedience. You want to feel closer to God? You, you want to experience more of what it means to have the same heart as God? I mean, there's all sorts of ways you could, oh, I'll try and just really feel it, I'll feel it, I'll get the emotions. It's like, I'll tell you what it means. It means obeying him. And not like, oh, I've got to tick the boxes. Not at all. It's like, what can I do? Oh, I love to do what you're asking me to do, God. Intimacy leads to obedience. Because our hearts are with the Lord's. And so we want to live like he does. It's the life of grace. That's how it works. We do good works because God is in us. This intimacy that comes from God leads us to delight in his commandments. And this is something that only God's people will experience. You know, If people try to obey God to, to do something to make him want to love them, you know, to earn their right before God, it's not going to work. It doesn't work that way. It's as people who have already trusted in Jesus that they then will do the response of doing the good works and experiencing God. Which leads one of the disciples to ask a question. It's a question from Judas. It happens to be two. That's a bit confusing. But it's not Judas Iscariot, but it's the other disciple with that name. This guy, the good Judas, said to Jesus, Lord, why are you going to reveal yourself only to us and not to the world, not to the world at large? Why not everybody, Jesus? Well, Jesus says this, verse 23 and 24, All who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them, and we will come and make our home with each of them. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. You think, ah, yeah, 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 yeah. Hang on, did he answer the question? It's like, are you going to reveal yourself to every... You know, why are you just revealing yourself to us and not everybody? And then he says something about loving God and, and making home with them and not obeying them. It's like, did he, did he hear the question? What, what's the... Well, yes, he certainly did. 
In fact, it's all tied in with what he's been saying. And that is, it's about obedience. So Jesus says that when you obey the one you love, then what you will experience then is a revelation of God in a sense. The, the, the result of you obeying is to experience the love that is already there between you and the Father and the Son by having the Spirit in you. So you, you want to grow in, in knowing God and having him reveal yourself, himself to you. It's tied up with obedience. Again, don't obey so you can become friends with God. That's completely the wrong way around. It's because you're friends with God. You say, what can I do? How can I serve you? And in fact, you actually already know because your hearts are with him. Because your, your spirit is with his spirit in you. And related to this, he then answers the question even more by connecting up this idea of revelation and what you need to obey with what they say. Because he says in verse 24b, remember my words are not my words are not my own, Jesus says. What I'm telling you is from the Father who sent me. Is it right here, kind of like I said last week, we must not drive some sort of wedge between the Father and the Son. You see, they, they speak as one. Which means that the Spirit, as he speaks to us today, he's going to be with one and the Father and the Son. It's not kind of like, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll talk to the Spirit this time because, you know, we're kind of getting a will at the moment. The Father, he's a bit grumpy with me at the moment. It's like, no, they are one. They speak as one. They think as one. They are one. The Father and the Son speak as one, as one. But it's really important to see that the way in which they operate in the world wasn't always the same. I've got to say, this is one of the things we get wrong about the Holy Spirit. Because we look at the references to the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament before Jesus comes, and he's got a special role in a special way. But it's totally different to what happened. Well, not totally, but it's, it's different to what it looks like when he is sent at Pentecost, 50, year, 50, 50 days after this event here. His role changes. Something is different. Uh, it, it's like, with, it's like um, a thousand years before Jesus walked on the earth, he wasn't a human. He became a human. Something changed. Uh, likewise, the day after Jesus is speaking, he dies. And he rises two days later. Uh, that hadn't happened before. Things genuinely change around this crazy time of about 33 AD. It's extraordinary all these things that change. And the role of the Spirit changes too. And we see this in verse 25 and 26. He says, I'm telling you these things now while I'm still with you. But when the Father sends the Advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. This is not in the future for you. This is past tense for us. This, is, this happened back then. But for the disciples, it hadn't happened yet. They're looking forward to it. Like we're looking forward to Christmas, or we're looking forward to that holiday, or we're looking forward to the friends we're having around. You're looking forward to that. They're looking forward to the time when the Holy Spirit will, send, will be sent by the Lord. But we look back and say, oh, he's already been sent. Because he was sent. 
50 50 weeks, sorry, 50 days for those playing at home. 50 days after Jesus died, the Holy Spirit comes. It's an event in history. And when he comes, some extraordinary things will happen. The first is, what does he do? He will teach you everything. He will teach you everything. And the second thing is he will remind you of everything I've told you. So we see here that the Spirit is the super teacher. He's the helper. He's the teacher. He teaches stuff. He helps them from to, to be people who understand how God works so that they can then, in turn, these, uh, these disciples can then teach others. You know, there's, there's a whole lot of miracles that we see in the Bible. We see the ones that happened around when Jesus was there. He was walking on water. He was feeding the 5,000. With a word, he said, Lazarus, come out. And he did. And, he, and you see the man blind who came. All these incredible things, right? You know, I reckon one of the most extraordinary miracles in the New Testament that we don't really give enough credit to is what happened when the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost. Now, I really like Peter. Peter's he's a real everyman kind of guy because he keeps saying dumb stuff. He, he sort of says the stuff that we all think, but you're not confident enough to say, and he says it for you, and everyone looks like, oh, you idiot. He's like, gee, I'm pleased I didn't say that. This is Peter, right? He keeps saying that stuff. And the disciples, they get told by Jesus, you know, I'll die and rise again. It's like, rise? I don't know. And they just they look just hopeless, these guys. I don't think I'd be any better. I'd be worse, surely. But then 50 days later, what does Peter do? He stands there in front of 3,000 people and he preaches the most extraordinary sermon that gets everything. Old Testament, this, 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 bam. You did this, you did this, the Spirit did it, and everything comes together. It's like, what's happened? In 50 days, he's gone from being, well, he's gone from being confused to being courageous. How's that happen? The same guy that says, oh, I don't know who Jesus is. I've never seen him. I'm not one of them. 50 days later, he's standing there on the steps, and he's preaching for his life. And he's getting all of it right. What's happened? It's the miracle of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. And what does he do? Exactly what Jesus says. He says, he will teach you. And he will reveal to you all the things that I've said to you. It'll all suddenly go, they'll just have this giant aha moment. It's like, ah, I get it. That's what the Spirit does. The Spirit comes down. Ah, it all makes sense. Of course it does. That's what he does. It shows what the Spirit's role is. His role to be the helper that the apostles need. And because of that, and how the helper helped the apostles then, we now get the help too. Because we hear the word of God by the ministry of the apostles through the Spirit. And how is it that we are Well, what is it that the help is that will be like, that we get? He says in verse 27, I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. What does it mean for them to receive the Holy Spirit? How does it feel? What is it like? Well, Jesus says, 
I am giving you a gift. Peace of mind and heart. Peace. The Spirit brings a peace the world can't give. A peace that removes trouble and fear. He says, don't be troubled. Don't be afraid. This is an extraordinary gift. Our world longs for peace. You know, you, you scroll through your, your social feeds and your news feeds and, and you just see war. You, you see war on a global scale. You see war on a personal scale. And sometimes you don't even need to look at your phone to know what it's like to live without peace. Because you see it in your family, you see it in your school, you see it in your workplace, you see it in the neighbours, you see it around everywhere. And you long for peace. We want personal peace with others, but we want a state of peace. In the Old Testament language Hebrew, it was called shalom, peace. It was this sense of just everything's right. This is what Jesus says that the Spirit will bring. And it's a, something that the world cannot bring. The world will say, oh, follow me and I'll give you anything you want. You want more money, I'll give you more money. And you get more money, you'll get more good stuff. And you'll be successful. And you might be famous. And you might show how smart you are. And you think, terrific, now I get the peace, right? When's the peace arrive? Oh, when you get a bit more money, when you get a bit more famous, when you get a bit more smart. But when's the peace arriving? And you follow that pathway of the world and you end up at the end of a dead end. And there's nothing. And the world cannot give you that peace. It says, you want peace? Oh, come to me, I'll give you peace. And the world is lying to you. Jesus says, it. the world cannot give you peace. But he can. And if you know Jesus, you know that peace. It doesn't mean that suddenly everything's going to be nice and happy. You'll never get sick. No one will ever die. You'll never have any unhappiness. No, that's not the life that we live now, this side of heaven. But there's a deep peace. You know that even in the midst of this mess, you have a certainty for eternity. And the world cannot give you that. It's like writing checks to you that it cannot cash. It is only in Christ that you can have peace. All other ground is sinking sand. So you're probably saying, so give me that Holy Spirit. I want that Holy Spirit. Well, the good news is you receive the Spirit when you first follow Jesus. You, you follow, you're a friend of Christ. You got the Holy Spirit. Oh, can I have a bit more blessing? You don't need any more blessing. 100%, full, tank is full. The nozzle's clicked. You can't get any more in your tank. You are full of the Holy Spirit the moment that you come to Christ. Because as you know Christ, you know his spirit. So with all of this, there's the reality for the disciples that he, Jesus is not going to be staying around for much longer. He said in verse 28, Remember what I told you. I'm going away, but I will come back to you again. He says, I'm going to come back. And I think he's talking here about the coming that we're still looking forward to today, that the second coming of Christ, as we say it, that in his coming he will judge the living and the dead. That moment is coming. We will see him face to face, and that is when he will come back in that sense. It hasn't come yet, but it cannot come unless he first goes away. 28b and 29, he said, If you really loved me, 
You'd be happy that I'm going to the Father who's greater than I am. I've told you these things before they happen, so that when they do happen, you will believe. Jesus has to leave so all these good things will happen. And basically, he preps them so that when the stuff of the cross and the tomb and the ascension and the Pentecost moment, when all those things happen, they go, oh, yeah, I expected that. Wow, it's pretty awesome. It's not, I mean, it's blowing my mind, but I'm not surprised by it. Jesus has got everything in place. Nothing is a surprise to God, so it shouldn't be a surprise to his disciples. Because when they see these things, they should believe. And it's not far off. Here's the last bit, verse 30 to 31. Jesus says, I don't have much more time to talk to you because the ruler of this world approaches. He has no power over me, but I will do what the Father requires of me so that the world will know that I love the Father. Come, let's be going. And the chapter ends. But not without some final drama, because Jesus knows the time's almost up, because he says the ruler of the world approaches. It's like, Jesus, aren't you the ruler of the world? Who, who is the mighty, mighty king? Jesus is the mighty. Aren't you the ruler? No, not according to John's cosmology, right? Because the world is... Everything that stands against Jesus. So the king of the world is Satan, right? That He is the king of the world. And he says here, I, I don't have much more time to talk to you because the ruler of this world approaches. So, ah. But he says, he has no power over me. Isn't that cool? Right in this moment, this crunch time, Jesus makes it very clear. Even before he has risen from the dead, Satan has no power over him. Jesus is powerful over all. Even in this moment of evil, of tears, of sadness, Jesus says, I'm the boss. But he also makes it clear that he submits to his father. That is what love looks like. It's a glorious picture of submission. Jesus submits to the father because he loves him and the spirit submits to Jesus and to the father and we submit to them as well. What we have a picture here of is is mutual love relationships. It's a, it's a really kind of nerdy way of looking at it, but it's really lovely. Together, they love, they mutually love. What is our God like? Some unmoved mover of Plato is it, or Aristotle? Is it kind of like some sort of angry guy who's up there sort of smiting you? God is this ball of love. Loving himself. And the most amazing thing is, he brings us in to his love. That is the peace. That is the truth. And that is the help that our helper brings us to bring us this peace that passes all understanding.